Max's Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Permack. On today's show, Amazon's burn book and the startup that just bought Lord & Taylor. But first, why Uber stalled. So it's been nearly four months since ride-hail giant Uber had its IPO, and it was a morning of pomp, circumstance, and Uber Eats delivery workers handing out breakfast sandwiches on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. But then it took a while for the shares to actually begin trading, and when they did, they were below its already underwhelming $45 per share IPO price. And in each of the past two days, it's opened trading below $33 per share, all-time lows. Now, it would be easy just to chalk this up to Uber's massive losses, particularly given that rival Lyft has also struggled after its IPO, but it seems to be more than that. In short, Uber's suffering an identity crisis. Remember, Uber was built up as this brash rule breaker in the image of former CEO Travis Kalanick. Then the company kicked him out, replacing him with a more sober-minded leader, Expedia's Dara Khosrowshahi, who was supposed to professionalize the place. The basic thinking was that public market investors would never accept the risk of a Kalanick-led Uber. But it seems they're also not thrilled with the new version, as the bravado has been replaced by bland. The question now is if Uber can actually thrive in the public spotlight, or if the company that revolutionized global transportation turned into a pumpkin the moment it stopped being private. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with New York Times reporter Mike Isaac. But first, this. Axios chief technology correspondent Ina Fried shares breaking news and analysis on the most consequential companies and players in tech from the Valley to D.C. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now back to the Pro Rata podcast. We're joined now by New York Times tech reporter Mike Isaac, who is also the author of Super Pumped, The Battle for Uber, which comes out next Tuesday. Let's start here with the process of writing this book, given that Uber seems to constantly be a moving target. How do you say you're done with a book about something that seems to always be changing and always making news? <laughs> no, that's a good question. I sort of had to ask myself that many times during the process while I was pulling out my beard hair and praying for the company to stop making news. But I think at some point, what I really wanted to get at is, is the rise and fall of Travis Kalanick as a character, the co-founder and former CEO, and then a lot about how this company really changed how we view venture capital, I think, in some ways, or, or maybe the limits of what VC can do sometimes. Or, you know, I talk about this idea of founder worship and, and the idea that the founder is a godlike figure in the valley. And I think in the best case scenario, giving them total control over the company can end up in really good situations. If you want to, if you want to cite Mark Zuckerberg as a very good example of that, you know, there's an argument there. And perhaps in the worst case scenario, you might end up with a Travis Kalanick and someone who ultimately damages the brand of the company in, in some ways. And, and it's hard to take that control back in the end. Kalanick's a fascinating guy, right? Because Uber, the way we know it, doesn't happen without him. And I don't just mean because he was the CEO and that's true for any startup, but kind of that rule breaking, grow at all costs. That is Uber, right? If it's a different guy in there who's more cautious, Uber never becomes this kind of revolutionary transportation company. Is there a line where you think that maybe an inflection point where he crossed over into something that was no longer sustainable? Or was he always unsustainable You know, as a long-term CEO? No, it's a really great point. I think there are two eras of Uber at this point. There's, you know, the, the Travis Kalanick era and then the Dara Khosrowshahi era going from, you know, 2017 onward. The one thing I think that Travis had a thesis for much of Uber's history was 
building a moat around the company with basically just truckloads of cash. You know, if you remember back in the first five, ten years of Uber's lifespan, there were headlines you and I wrote every other day where they raised a billion bucks from random public investment funds. Which at the time was revolutionary. Nobody in any sector had been raising that kind of cash. Absolutely. And I think his belief was not unfounded. Like, it was just obscene amounts of money, and it seemed like the competitive advantage of having that much money was a realistic thesis. Now, you fast forward to today, introduce Masasan and SoftBank, introduce just all sorts of global areas of money coming into the sector and realizing that ride hailing and ride sharing is a sector that you need to be in. And you have suddenly all these competitors pop up in different countries around the world. So instead of Uber being this sort of titan with the, the inimitable war chest, they now have to fight battles on literally every front and in every continent that they're in. And I think that thesis started to not bear out the way he wanted it to. Like you said, Dara's new sort of move is to is to recognize that competitors are well-funded and maybe they can't do those same fighting tactics. Is there a way for a company like Uber to create a moat? Was there an actual, yeah. whether you want to call it from a tech or a marketing perspective, was there really a way to do it or, or was that never an option? You know, I think I will give Dara some credit for his current plan today, which is like, look, like, the real hard part of this company from the beginning is that they pioneered the category. I will absolutely give them credit for popularizing and pioneering a category. But I don't think you have a moat built in because ultimately, aside from brand, it's, it's pretty much a commoditized service, right? And so Dara's plan is to, you know, we've talked about this a lot, to build a platform, sort of make it the Amazon of transportation. So it's not just ride-hailing business. When you think of Uber, you think of food, you think of freight and trucking, you know, you might think of um, bikes and scooters. So really tap into every part of how getting around matters in your life. And that is their strategy to lock in people instead of having them constantly switching based on price and, and maybe having to deal with more subsidizing price wars in the future. How does that lock me in? Take uh, del- food delivery, like Uber Eats, for example, right? So if I've on my phone got Uber and Lyft as apps for my ride, right? And I'm going to go back yeah. and forth depending on price and availability. Don't I also have Uber Eats and Postmates and DoorDash on my phone too? Isn't that just yep. the same thing in a different segment? No, I think you're totally right. I think where we are in food delivery now, it's actually one of my favorite spaces to look at food delivery. But I think where we are now in food delivery is where we were five years ago in ride hailing. You know, it's just these crazy price wars where I can get my Uber Eats burger for whatever, like five bucks or something, you know, and Uber is probably losing money on many, if not most of those orders that they're making in order to take share away from competitors. So I do wonder what that sort of magic bullet is to keep people locked into the platform in the long term. And maybe they have an idea of it. And I I haven't seen it yet. I'm not really sure. Mike, I want to know, you know, when when you're doing all these interviews for this book, and, and I obviously interview people for a living too, and you're often on the phone and you're listening, kind of half listening. And every now and then there's a, you hear something that's a holy moment. Like, I I couldn't believe you just said that. Was there a holy moment in the reporting for you, something you had never heard about Uber before? Mm, I think in, I think there were two things. One, I think there's this letter that I ended up coming across in the course of reporting this book that Travis wrote before the investor coup that you and I reported about in 2017. And basically, I got my hands on this letter. It's a couple thousand words long, and it really lays out this case that Travis like has internalized and understood the many shortcomings of the company. You know, for a very long time, he seemed like a guy who 
didn't care about the criticisms, brushed him off, just sort of said, like, haters be damned, and shook it to the side. And I'm trying to find a way to publish his letter somehow, or at least get someone to print it in full. We're happy to do it. <laughs> I was going to say, we should talk. He really does sort of internalize and accept it. And I think the tragedy of the moment is that before he's able to deliver that to his company and to the world, suddenly uh, on a hot summer day in Chicago, he serves with another letter, which is a letter from investors saying, we want you out or we're about to take this fight public. And ultimately, he stepped down. And so it's really a, a fascinating thought exercise to wonder where Uber would be now, still under Travis. And I don't know if that would be a better or worse place. Some people traumatized by his leadership would probably argue worse. But there was an alternate future at some point, at least. Mike Isaac, thank you so much for joining us. The book is called Super Pump, The Battle for Uber. It is in bookstores and Amazon and everywhere else you get books this coming Tuesday. Thanks, Mom. Thanks, Dan. My final two right after this. Axios gives you the news and analysis you need to get smarter faster on the most important topics. In our unique Smart Brevity format, we cover topics from politics to science and media to tech. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the Pro Rata Podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is clothing rental startup Latote, which yesterday announced it'll pay about $100 million to acquire Lord & Taylor, the iconic department store chain that was founded 193 years ago. As I wrote this morning in the Pro Rata newsletter, companies like Latote were founded to disrupt brick-and-mortar retailers like Lord & Taylor, not to absorb them. So three things to know. First, Latote doesn't get any of the underlying real estate, which is probably more valuable than the stores on top of it. Second, the idea is that Latote will be able to add a tech layer to the physical Lord & Taylor experience experience, including adding Lord & Taylor shoppers to its own platform. And third, Latote will be able to add around 500 new brands to its clothing rental system. But still, this is extremely unusual. Plenty of digital retailers have opened physical stores and malls and other places, but this is a whole different sort of thing with an extraordinary number of integration challenges. Lots of folks in the retail space will watch this performance carefully to see if these sorts of mergers are what the future of their business looks like. And finally, the Wall Street Journal reports that Amazon executives kept the corporate equivalent of a burn book. So we cut out girls' pictures from the yearbook, and then we wrote comments. Amber D'Alessio, she made out with a hot dog. Now, this was during its ill-fated efforts to open a second headquarters in Long Island City. It was kept in a Microsoft Word doc called NY Negative Statements and detailed critical comments about HQ2 by area politicians, officials, and other leaders. It even had a section for those on Twitter who pushed a hashtag Scamazon. Now, earlier this year, we said here on the podcast that Amazon bailed on New York City primarily over hurt feelings. This burn book revelation makes that point even clearer. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And please be sure to leave us a review, either stars or text or both. Have a great National Chop Suey Day. And we'll be back on Tuesday with another Pro Rata Podcast.